What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. Heading it up. Corona's cast. Let's go. Hey, Bobby. How was your week? It was all right, man. I'm down in San Antonio. Uh, rotating through Brook Army Medical Center through the surgery department. Just hanging out. Not too bad. Dude, I feel like the last time we talked, you were just getting back from a rotation. What's the Army got you doing with medical school right now and all these trips? So, yeah. So, I'm right now I'm doing my uh, an audition rotation. Basically, it, I'm like trying out uh, for residencies. And I'm down at uh, in San Antonio at the hospital down here. Uh, rotating through general surgery uh, department. So this week I was I've been on the bariatric service. So we did a bunch of bariatric cases. Took call Wednesday night, the twenty four hour shift Wednesday night, uh, which was pretty cool. Saw some trauma stuff, uh, but not too, nothing crazy. Are you getting like hands on with this stuff? Not really. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's very different from Madigan. Uh, so the, that's Fort Lewis is a hospital. And uh, not to, like, get too deep into it, but, like, it's just different cultures of the programs. I think the attendings here, so, like, the attending surgeons here are more hands-on where they want more control. Whereas at, at Fort Lewis, they, like, kind of let the residents make kind of uh, give, them, give them more freedom to operate. And as a result, uh, I was able to do, like, get more hands-on up there than I am down here. Like, down here, I barely do anything. Speaking of hands-on, have you gotten your hands on the hottest commodity of the fall? No, it's like 100 degrees down here in in San Antonio. I'm not getting pumpkin spice lattes. Not even a nice one? No, man. Actually, first of all, I haven't been to a Starbucks, and I can't tell you the last time I went to a Starbucks because, I mean, I don't support Starbucks. Yeah, I don't either. uh, I don't like the mermaid logo, but... I uh, I will definitely go buy coffee creamer. I just got some like organic flavor of pumpkin spice latte creamer, and it was awful. I'll, I'll have to find the brand and and let the Cronus fam know what to stay away from because it did not make my coffee taste at all. The season of joy and leaves and cinnamon spiced uh, candles. Dude, you're in a you're in New York City. Like I'm pretty sure the coffee's much better there than most of the places oh for sure i found a really great bodega to get my coffee from it's a real hole in the wall uh, it's called duncan and oh my god <laughs> it's been it's been pretty great a lot of people come to the city and ask for good recommendations and the one on 14th street has been doing me justice i just wish they would expand i hate you sometimes i really do <laughs> i don't <laughs> Uh, have you seen any good TV since going down and doing your your doctorly rotations? No, man, I have no time to do anything. Like, uh, I wake up at like three thirty in the morning, go into the hospital so I can work out for a little bit, which is actually kind of cool. The only the cool part of uh, the hospital right here is they have a outdoor gym with like a uh, a rack, couple bars, bumper plates, and some cardio equipment, dumbbells and kettlebells and shit. It's like a, it's like a garage, it's like a prison gym or like a deployment gym. So I like to go in the morning, work out, and then start my day. Usually start off around five, start working around five. Are you doing sled pushes with cadavers? <laughs> uh, no. What about grandmas in wheelchairs? Uh, not yet. Do you see a disparity in fitness within the medical community compared to the average population, or would you say that? doctors and nurses tend to be uh in about uh, average shape so i've had this conversation before with christina my girlfriend uh and the general consensus that we have reached is that doctors on average are probably less healthy than most normal than the average person whereas nurses are definitely a little more healthier i don't know if it's like a time thing where doctors just don't have as much time to work out and take care of themselves but definitely like a residence because as residents, uh, residents work a lot more hours than they do as like a doctor once they graduate. It's like a ten. It's like residents are some of like the most unhealthy people. Like they just eat like shit, don't sleep, generally work out. But uh, I still try to get it in. So I don't know. I think it's just an excuse. Yeah, I understand the idea of the sleep deprivation and the stress. 
But what I don't understand is if you applied that to the military and the ranger school and selection and all the other schools that you can go to, which which stress learning the basics and being able to apply, apply them in those situations, I feel like the technical skills of being a doctor would be more adversely affected through that kind of practice. Uh, but having not gone through it, do, do you agree or do you think that there's ways that they can definitely improve upon this system? Like the system of like overworking or just hours? Yeah, the overworking, the sleep deprivation, keeping up for 24 hours, you know. Oh. So, losing a drill bit in someone's stomach. Yeah, so it used to be much worse. Like back in the day, uh, one of my surgery attendings back in the, said like back in the, like nineties, they used to like there this he had a, one of his buddies didn't leave the hospital for a month because he <laughs> lived in the hospital for a month because that was the rotation that he was on. Like he was just always busy and like couldn't leave, so he would sleep in the hospital and like lived in the hospital for a month. Nowadays, it's I that's like literally illegal to, to to do that so like in early 2000s uh they passed this law that limited for residents the duty hours so the amount of hours they can work the 80 hours a week because uh one they so like back in the early 2000s some like senator's daughter i want to say was like a resident and like was killed in a car accident driving home because she had worked too long uh so because of this i mean it's been going on for like decades before that but just because of this one high-profile case, the Congress like passed a law that limited duty hours. So now, uh, hospitals are legally obligated to let their residents, or it, they can't work the residents more than eighty hours a week. Which, like, if you ask some of the like old school and like more hardcore doctors, they say that it's like a detriment to medicine because you're not going to get as much experience or cases or just the overall knowledge base that you would see practicing medicine nowadays. But obviously people aren't dying and people are generally speaking healthy or happier now because they have more time outside of medicine. I don't know. I mean, like to me, I would love, I like, I love having a life outside of medicine. That's at the hospital. But at the same time, that was just like, do you really, can you really sacrifice, you know, like your work experience or sacrificing experience for like sleep? I don't know. That's like a big question. I don't know. You know? Yeah, I could, I could definitely see the implications of missing out on those unique experiences by reducing hours. But I don't know. I I think that if you overwork someone and then they're dissatisfied in their profession because they wanted to be a doctor to serve and protect and heal, and then all of a sudden they're spending hours upon hours of doing nothing. I think it could kind of be attributed to to similar experiences with deployments where you've got just eons of boredom with then flashes of violence and combat, and then you're just going back to that mental state. So that roller coaster could probably be pretty mentally draining oh, on. Yeah. A, f- a physician for sure oh yeah that's why they uh there's such a key uh they're doing a lot more uh attention being drawn to like physician burnout nowadays we're like doctors i think there's more like a lot more like media attention played into like doctors and depression and suicide because doctors are often overworked uh even though they're like well paid and compensated for it uh you're still like in the state of uh especially with like if you're on like surgery or something that's like on a call service so overnight you might get called for something and have to go to the hospital so it's like almost like i won't say like it's like a deployment but like you're always on edge so to speak of like being ready to do something at at any moment's time especially if you're on like a trauma service where you're always you get called and you never know it's gonna come through the doors you know no i i totally get that um and then so far as that compensation, too, it's going to be such a big thing in the next election because if we move to a single-payer system, yeah, the the occupation is going to have a significantly less uh, lucrative standard of living because it, all the prices and stuff are going to go down when the government decides to create rates effectively for both medicine and services and then the services that are available to individuals for symptoms that maybe otherwise they would have covered in private insurance but wouldn't necessarily be covered under a Medicare for all uh, type situation. Yeah, I don't really know like what's the come of that. Because, I mean, a lot of people, if you ask people why they get into medicine, a lot of people will say because they want to help people. 
but there's definitely an underlying sentiment of they want to be live comfortably and be paid well and like i think that like the big like some of the big reasons why people go into medicine is for one the job description in terms of helping people out and saving lives two there's the respect aspect of being a well-respected profession and three is like the prestige of being a doctor and then four is just like compensation and being well living very comfortably as a physician uh i think those are some of the big reasons why people go into medicine but like from my perspective as, as being in the army like I get some of the definitely like the mission of being help be able to help other people and some of the prestige, but I definitely am not going to get paid as much as I would as a civilian doctor. Uh, so I think that like kind of jives with my uh, kind of personal ideals of service without the money necessarily. Uh, no, I, I completely agree with you on all of those sentiments uh, because especially looking at some of my peers that I've got in the law school, that was one of the things we talked about in class today during a discussion of where do you see using a law degree and mine is focused on getting back into government service but not even coming close to jag service that i'd i'd rather uh i can't think of a worse thing yeah uh but you know other people were talking about wanting to go corporate and at the end of the day for lawyers they have a code where you have to represent your client or clients to the best of your ability, but prosecutors in general have a duty to uphold the ethics that shape and create the structure for the legal framework um, that the modern penal code uh, rests on um, and the uniform commercial codes. So I think there's a big difference even within the law, as you're seeing in the uh, medical profession, where people's uh, passions, I, I think, line up to a degree, but at the same time, there is an underlying uh, insincerity in in that service and in the profession. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, I guess with us, because we both have our military service, do you think that's like different? Or do you think people of military service just have an inherently more desire to serve others? I don't think it's a desire so much to serve others. I think it's the desire that when you're a part of the team, you work towards the betterment of the team. Yeah. And a lot of times the things that make, you know, individuals great uh, that haven't experienced the military won't necessarily make a group great. And I think that's the difference when given the leadership opportunities that we've had in, in the service now applying them to a, a second profession, it's much easier to articulate uh, direction to articulate the task and purpose and define the conditions that we've been constrained to. And as an end result, uh, it might appear that we have a more selfless uh, attitude, but at the end, we're just developing a team, which I guess you can say is selfless, but you know, we still have some idea of self-preservation and wanting to do well uh, and promote ourselves. Right. But I think, but I mean, we, you just talked about like going into like uh like law to help other people versus into the for like uh like monetary gains because like you said like you could have gone you like choose to go to corporate law where like you get some big bucks but you want to go into like the uh, humanitarian and the refugee law where i'm sure there is not as much money in that oh there's absolutely not the one of the the hardest things is you know people come out of school and uh, they have all these grandiose ideas. Okay, if I was on the journal as a third year at my law school, I can go work as a prosecutor at the state or federal level, which might m get me into a clerkship at the circuit level or even the supreme level. And then from there, you know, I can go and run for public office. And then all of a sudden, someone might face an obstacle or get to a point and they realize that that's not what they want to do uh, within their profession. And it's just like overwhelming to the senses at that point. Um, so I just think at the end of the day, uh, a sense of purpose and direction go uh, so incredibly far um, in, in really identifying how successful you're going to be and happy at the end of it. Right. And that's like self-actualization and like knowing yourself and knowing what makes you happy. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, speaking of making happy, how many of the Lord of the Rings movies did you watch this week? I've watched zero. I've literally not done anything besides work out, go to the hospital, read textbooks, and sleep this entire week. Today's the first night that I've been able to like relax, because only because we get out. I was in clinic today. Uh, this is Friday, and I got out at 2 p.m., which is the earliest I've gotten out all week. So I came back, sat outside by the pool for a little bit, ate some food, and now I'm just kind of hanging out. I'm going to probably go to bed at like 8 o'clock tonight still. Oof. Oof. This is, oh, it's unhealthy. This is my sleep cycle. I don't want to fuck up my sleep cycle because I've been going to bed at like 9 and waking up at 3.30. So I know if I, I have to work on Sunday too. So if I go if I go to bed like late tonight, it's going to fuck up my sleep cycle for the rest of next week. So I can't, I can't like uh, risk it. That's really so. You're gonna by that logic. Are you gonna get to see the Eagles this weekend? Yeah, I th- I have to work on Sunday, but I think I should be able to leave by like noonish. So I should be able to watch the games on Sunday. Dope as fuck. Yeah. Uh, so I was reading the news today, and I saw this article talking about obesity rates in the military. Do you see the article? Oh yeah. Uh, from the the New York Times. Yeah, I I read on the Army Times, but yeah, it was like the the oh, Navy is the most plagiarizing. Yeah, it's a it's a it is a very damning article, and I think the statistics are probably, uh, mm, let's just say influenced so that they don't look so terrible. But I think right now I'm pulling it up. It said that the Army came in at seventeen point four percent which is the military-wide average for individuals that are obese. The Air Force was at 18.1. The Marine Corps is at 8.3, which is fantastic for all the biceps and tailored uniforms that they wear. And the Navy is the fattest of them all at 22%, which is (laughs) one in five. Yeah. That That is alarming. Yeah, I mean, I know the article or the they did that study based on like BMI, so you could argue that someone could be like super jacked and be like not obese, but that's very few and far between. I'll put it that way. Yeah, it's the same percentage of people saying that they're uh, they've got a gland problem and yeah. that's why they're overweight. But I don't know. I think the military just in general has just, I just, I, just a endemic issue of like. People were shamming out, not doing the standard, not upholding the standard. Where, but the Marine Corps, I think, does a pretty good job of all the branches. I've always been impressed by the Marine Corps, to be honest. Just like oh, uh, I have as well. I every single Marine Corps infantry officer that I've met has been in terrific shape because of the basic school yeah. down at Quantico, and then their uh, the infantry basic course. Um. I feel like they are motivated throughout their career because even while they're at their captain's career course, uh, they've got to do, I think, like a 20-miler a is, is one of their test distances. Um, and then you look at captain's career course uh, for combined arms in the Army, and it's like 12 miles, and it's 35 pounds. And you've got so many people that are falling out and barely meeting the standard, and you just go, what happened in the four years between showing up motivated and being a bearer for an organization to just embarrassing the uniform that you are gaining weight and not maybe being clinically obese, but clearly would be embarrassed if you had to walk around without your shirt on in uniform. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't I mean like, I guess coming from us, like we probably never will understand it. Like, if I don't work out for two days, I feel I just feel like shit if I don't work out for more than two or three days. If I work out more, if I don't work out for more than two or three days, I just don't feel well. And then I like get the urge and the itch to like go work out. I can't imagine like not working out for more than like a couple, than like two weeks at a time. I think I'd probably like, kill myself. 22 push ups. Yeah. Go. <laughs> uh, but I, I, th- it's also one of those things where you work out, it's a form of stress relief. And we talked about it a couple podcasts ago, but what stress does to your metabolism and what stress then does to your sleep, which you know focuses on your recovery. 
So aside from looking at fitness as a way to mold yourself through tailored exercises, I think it's also something that mentally prepares you better and reduces, you know, some of the other negative effects of a work week. Oh yeah. Like, uh, like they say, like exercise is therapy. When you're like exercising, your de- your body releases these hormones, you breathe faster, you increase your metabolism. I mean like, and then just from a mental resiliency standpoint, like, uh, if I want to find somebody that's like not in the military and find someone that's pretty, that's like pretty mentally tough, I would just go like to a CrossFit gym. And like, I think some people in CrossFit gyms are some of the more mentally tough people without being like, like, like in the military, you know? Oh yeah. And, and they've got such a terrible reputation because you'll see a couple CrossFitters wearing the, the ting, tingler, Jesus, Sean, uh, the finger toe gloves. Yeah, we can say that tinger. They're Tinger gloves. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna coin it. You heard it here first, folks. Um, but the part about the diet is always just really motivating when you see a gym because beyond the cultish behavior of CrossFit, for the most part, it really has developed a community towards a better idea of fitness. I mean, like Greg Glassman, as much as he looks like he doesn't work out. His war on Coca-Cola products is great. I mean, the the article that we were talking about, coming back to that full circle, um, they've been getting rid of fried food and sugary j- drinks on ships. I'm sure they're not getting rid of, like, orange juice and apple juice, which is just as bad as soda. Mm-hmm. But when I showed up to Carson, one of the first things I did was go to the DFAC, and it was like you could get unlimited pancakes just like you could at uh, the Hunter Army Airfield defect and then when you want to go and eat something healthy and this is something that we had to talk with the defect at hunter about was you know rangers were authorized extra portions of the good food but in the regular army you're not so if i'm coming out here and i'm like hey i want two chicken breasts they're going to look at me like do you want mozzarella sticks uh i can give you onion rings and it's if you're trying to eat healthy in that environment it's very difficult and then taking that a further step as an individual that wanted to affect change I brought that up to the attention of some very senior leaders, both in the brigade and at the division level. And in, I was essentially scoffed at for sticking my nose, which is incredibly powerful and very large and offers a ton of shade to my lower part of the face in business that uh, I didn't belong in, which was really infuriating because I don't want to get to a position where our formation can't get to an objective, not because of the enemy, but because of our own inability to maintain fitness and be in shape. Yeah, I think the, the defect issue is definitely a big issue. I mean, guys always ask us all the time of how to eat cleanly, like eat clean in the defect. Uh, I mean, like I haven't, I haven't eaten the defect in years at this point, but even when I was eating the defect, there, I always remember there were always like clean options to eat, you know. So maybe it's like an educational yeah. standpoint of knowing what's good food and what's not good food and like what this to eat and what not to eat inside the defect. I think that's, that's a big thing. And that's also why I think we are trying to do a lot of education on, on not only on the podcast, but like Q and a sessions. And like people always ask us like ways to like tips to clean the defect. And, and for those of you that are out there that have asked us um, for answers on our counting macros and measuring food, something that you should really pursue. I would say from the standpoint of if you're living in the barracks and you are reliant on the defect, that is a huge catalyst for learning because when you go there, you will have a much better idea of what 35 grams of you know, uh, rice looks like or what the 35 to 40 grams of the chicken looks like. And you're going to already know in your head exactly what those macros are. So at least you can help get yourself uh, to the end of the day that that goal of, you know, 200 grams of protein and, you know, 200 carb, whatever your your breakdown is. And, and with the, the Cronus Fit Nutrition Plan, doing initial meal prep and weighing and scaling uh, will get you to that point where you can kind of eyeball it when you're in situations in which you're challenged by healthy options and how much you should be eating. Yeah, and then there's always like the the concept of like the healthy plate or whatever, of like 50% of your plate should be like vegetables, 25% is like a lean pro or like 
uh, 30% is like a lean protein source and 20% is like carbohydrate. And that's like an easy way to like, of just eyeballing it, just looking at like 50% is vegetables, 25, 30% is proteins and 20% is like carbs. And that's like a good way of like just doing it that way. That's a, that's a really good idea as well. I, I just think at the end of the day, if you're going to be wearing the uniform, there is an inherent responsibility to maintain a shape in which you can protect others in the worst possible conditions and not be limited by the obstacles of fitness. And that's, that's simply it. And then now that I've transitioned out and hearing individuals talking about ways that they're getting the government, which has already provided them many opportunities for education and for betterment while they're in the service and then what they've earned when they've gotten out. Talk about trying to game the VA and get more money because of something like sleep apnea just absolutely blows my mind. The fact that you joined the military, which is a fit fighting organization, and let's just say within three years you're getting out or for some of the other junior officers that are out there that we've seen, they get out after four or five years. Before they go and they get out and they get their medical tests, they get fat they start drinking before they go to bed. They eat a lot of McDonald's, and then they go get blood work done, and they go get the sleep apnea test. Now they've gained 15 or 20 pounds right before they get out, and they get told, okay, we're going to give you like an automatic percentage because of this sleep apnea, which the Army has caused, which is like it's counterintuitive. How did the Army cause you sleep apnea because you gained weight oh my, yeah. in an organization that made you work out? That, But that's fine. We're going to have taxpayer dollars go to that so when – you know, civilians complain about not having money. Nobody can touch the military because it's like a sacred organization and it's and veterans are, are a protective class. So if you attack that, it's like you're attacking the very standards on which the American flag, you know, represents itself. But I, I think it's a conversation that has to be had. The VA needs to be reformed on many levels, but that being one of them. I'm sure if you're fat when you get out of the army or any other branch, the army and taxpayers don't need to pay for the remainder of your poor choices while you were in. Yeah. That's, like, one of my biggest fucking pet peeves is, like, people that try to gain the system for their own personal benefit, especially when it comes to, like, VA claims benefits. Like, that money is literally – it's just to help people out that are actually – that were injured or wounded in combat. Not because you, like, never deployed, got fat, and then, like, claim you got back issues and, like, claim your knee problems because of the Army. It's just, like, that's not what it's there for. It's to help those people out that, like, legitimately got injured while in training or in combat. Not to, like, I don't know. It's one of my big, one of my big pet peeves is that. Yeah, I met a captain out at Carson. Uh, I will say that he was a West Pointer. So between the two of you, you are clearly the the cooler of the group and uh, much more, I think, representative of that of that class and of that school. But this guy did exactly that. He gained weight. He claimed things that aren't really testable. If you go in and tell the doc your dick's not working, there's not much that they're going to do. And then they're going to be like, you know what? That was blamed on the stresses of the army. Uh, Not because people didn't want to go out on dates with you because you got fat and ugly. And this guy's gained the system. And he's, he's getting a significant amount of money for getting out. And it's just it's infuriating because this guy never deployed. Uh, he was not combat arms, and he essentially did nothing for a year before he even got out to try to find a job, and it's just, it's one of those bad things, and, I, and I, what the worst part is, too, I think the officer corps is probably a poorer uh, group of those veterans getting out because a lot of them have the knowledge and the experience of how to game the system better than your standard soldier who might not have the experiences uh, of reading other cases before they get out. Yeah, it's, it's just, like, shameful, man. It really is. I think it's, like, everyone, like, likes to talk shit about, like, the welfare system, but, like, the military is the biggest welfare system in the country. <laughs> it is, and it's just it's sad because it represents – the greatest and it's a it's a couple it's a it's the the couple apples that ruined the bunch oh yeah, yeah and i i absolutely love the army uh, both my parents were in my grandparents um you know my best friends it's 
it's a great organization, but from being on the inside, you want to see change and you want to see it live up to that potential and that, that lineage. And when it's not and you bring those issues up and the answer is just to be scoffed at, it's just, it puts your mind in a bottle. Yeah. It's mind-bottling. Right. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I th- I like dislike the Army as an institution. Uh, I think that, like, institutionally, it is severely flawed. But, I mean, I can't it's really... It's too bureaucratic. It's too, yeah, I just can't stand the law of bureaucracy that comes... But it's like any large organization. With any large organization, you're going to have a ton of bureaucracy, a bunch of, like, regulations. Because without rules, we just live... You know, in anarchy. I I agree completely with that. I, I think the last thing I'll say on the army is the leadership that's entrusted on you is not easily given and it shouldn't be easily received. If you have an opportunity to lead, it should only be after proving yourself through some sort of crucible, at which point you've demonstrated your desire for the organization's betterment is greater than that of your own personal glory that you might achieve. And then if you get to a point in your career where you're not proving it, and I mean this should be identified uh, much lower uh, in that leadership chain than by the time you make sergeant major or lieutenant colonel, that should be it. The Army doesn't owe you anything else because you are no longer that worthy warfighter, warrior, uh, leader that they wanted, and you should be gone. And get the army to be a much smaller organization, like the Marines, um, so that there's never ever that hint of mediocrity floating amongst the ranks. Uh, so what are you trying to say? Like a crucible? A, a crucible. You've been put through the challenges that, uh, through stress, both caused by fitness and academia, and some sort of team event have have proven yourself to come out on the other side better, um, you know, a much more learned individual, and then prepared for leadership. It's not like, you know, you just get in and you go through the basic officer leader course and then you're automatically given a platoon. You know, you have to prove to that organization first and to the Army uh, that you are ready to go. Right, right, right. But, like, doesn't Bullock do that stuff? I think Bullock doesn't okay job of it having seen who some of the instructors are i would say others are more prepared than not but even when you get to your unit you can't just infer that this person is prepared uh case in point captain's career course you go there 12 of my combat arms peers failed the pt test day one and then they all subsequently passed and when they got to their units they all took command within six to 18 months. Now the crucible of of triple C was not at all difficult. Right. Right. Because it combined, I think too many elements of combat arms to really make you a master of your singular profession. But then when you got out to your unit, they just stuck you in an office somewhere said, Hey, you've planned three events over the course of these 18 months. You're now prepared. I give you my blessing as this brigade commander to go take a company but you've really done nothing to prove that you understood those concepts beyond graduate a school that someone who's speaking, spoken Jesus, who has spoken Arabic their entire life can come over and pass with flying colors. Yeah. It's not going to challenge them that greatly. I mean, like, can't you argue that the mission changes as you progress in your career where, you know, as, like, a staff officer, like, do you need to be really at the top of your physical fitness? Absolutely, because at any point, you're going to be put in that situation where you might have to pick up your rifle, you might have to go and take over for someone that's been removed from the fight and be prepared to lead. I mean, anyone has to be able to to get off that batter's deck and, and take a swing over the plate. Right, right, right. Hashtag Phillies better make the wild card, I swear to God. Bryce Harper, strike out one more time tonight. Strike out one more time. Yeah, I haven't watched. I don't watch baseball, so <laughs> that asshole is getting three hundred and thirty million dollars to lead the league in strikeouts, and then Philly's broadcast has the gall 
to say, oh, wait, look, he's batted uh, in over 100 RBIs, just like Ryan Howard. Well, you remember how Ryan Howard went, signed him to $120 million after the World Series win, and then that guy became strikeout king, and we got rid of him like a bad habit. Oh. Right, right, right. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. What a, what a, uh, what's the term look for? What a non sequitur. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I I feel like, op, do you think officers as a whole are in worse shape than enlisted? No. Well, uh, I, that's a difficult question. Yeah. I would say or like percentage combat wise. arms. Yeah. I would say combat arms, you are probably more likely to find that the junior officers are some of the most in shape in a formation. And that obviously changes mm-hmm. when you get to places like the 75th or the special forces, but conventional army up to captain, I would probably say are your most fit individuals in a formation. Um, and then the next fit would be your junior enlisted up to maybe like E five. And then there's this weird, like E six, E seven. I've deployed three times, but all of it's been mounted I have bad knees from rucking was the yeah. excuse that I always heard. But then they're just overweight, and then you find out that they're never running during PT because they just speak in exaggerated tones when they describe what running did to a sergeant major they knew 15 years before when they signed up. Yeah. I think that's like the two, like, uh, I guess, like, tropes or, like, character tropes you find, like, enlisted. It's like you have the pretty high-speed ones, and then you have the ones that just don't give a shit. They're just there for the paycheck. But I guess it's true oh. for like officers. Too. Officers too. <laughs> yeah. The the, uh, the the general that I was an aide for the second one would go on the elliptical, and that was his PT. And I I constantly invited him to go do PT with the brigades, to go and get down at the soldier level and show them that hey, this one star is still getting after it, and it was just. Nope, I'm going to disappear in the bottom of the gym and uh, do the elliptical. And it's like, you don't see that in the 75th. Uh, You know, regimental commander is still passing his five mine under 40. The sergeant major who has, by that time, probably like 115, (laughs) 120 jumps easily. Oh, I was just saying like 15 deployments. Oh, Oh, yeah, 15 deployments is still getting out there. And still doing laps. I mean, I think uh, our first sergeant at RASP had the fastest RPAT time, even compared to the RASP 1 candidates that were coming in and after their uh, time there at the school and in the selection were, you know, some of the most fit individuals you were ever going to see running, you know, five miles in 25, 26 minutes. And this guy was still at, you know, 31, 32, 33, just crushing it with Kit. Yeah. But I think those are like kind of outliers too. I don't know. I think it's like a self self uh, selecting force, especially in the regiment, where it's like, it's very, it, it weeds itself out. It like trims the, it trims its own branches. It does. And it's just disconcerting though that you see senior levels. And then by the time, you know, we talked about how great officers are at PT up until captain, and then it's all of a sudden it's like they finish command, or even when they've taken command based on the formation they've got, once they start looking at doing a broadening assignment or they go to major to lieutenant colonel, it's like all of a sudden their fitness only becomes doing a three-mile run every day, doing 100 push-ups and stretching, and then talking about the troop waiting procedures or the eight-step training model or the battle for Atropia and Denovia that they are wargaming again for the second week in a row. Yeah. And they lose that. And I just think if you made maybe branch-specific PT tests that did not have an age requirement to them, that might be a solution to make sure guys maintain a standard. Yeah. I mean, like, if you look at, like, me personally, too, like, I've been fucking med school. Like, there's no need for me to be physically fit, but I think I'm, I'm in like the best shape of my life that I've ever been because I still, I like take more time to work out now. I have more time to work out now than I did in the army. <laughs> Which is and like that's, kinda... that's hard to, to look at and say, Hey, 
why am I in better shape now as an older individual? Like, I'm glad I had those opportunities and experiences to be surrounded by the self-selecting individuals to know what it takes to be good at fitness at this age. Yeah. It's like really weird. I still don't understand how I'm like in better shape now, probably because I am like probably peaking in terms of fit, like my my age and my like physical fitness. Because they say like your testosterone peaks around like your late twenties, so I'm just probably hitting that peak in my physical performance, and then just all downhill from here. So short, it's gonna be short lived. <laughs> oh, I think my testosterone is gonna continue peaking the longer I live in this city. I've been like my left wrist is not good, and. I think at least once every other day, somebody who does not need to be that far over on the sidewalk where I have clearly no path will just walk straight into me and just slap my wrist. And so my, my testosterone gets peaked every day that I walk home. So I just imagine if I eat correctly, I'm going to be huge. Yeah. I feel like that is definitely, yeah. That's one thing I do like is like being in like around weak people. I like feed off weakness. Do you, do you feel the same way? Oh, it's one of my favorite things about going to the gym. I will be all for, I'll tell you the story. I will be all for helping individuals out in the gym. So long as it's not in that manner where you're like, uh, hey, you know, if you keep your elbows in here, like, let's get some more reps, brother. But like, respect the iron. Respect the iron. I'm doing squats in like a very shitty squat rack with my training partner. And this dude is taking the 20-pound dumbbells from the waist and just flicking them out to the side. He's doing Bulgarian split squats. He's not going to depth. He's lined up his bench so that he is right in between the squat rack, nearly hitting our bars that's going down so he can maximize two mirrors. He's wearing a cutoff shirt. Uh, He's got no legs. And homeboy keeps chucking these weights. And I'm just like, okay. Like, doesn't matter to me. Like, I'm not, I don't own the gym, but that's iron. That's just a sacred iron. You don't, you don't do that. Franco Colombo had just died. Oh, RIP. And RIP. And I finally said to my lifting partner, I swear to God, one more time. One more time. And I went from zero to motherfucking 100 without any brain-to-mouth filter. I just went up to him and I was like, hey, little man, stop throwing the fucking weight around. And his response wasn't like, oh, my God, uh, you've insulted my, my honor. It was, why? Like, this asshole had no respect to begin with with the gym equipment. He's just chucking it around. I mean, like, I get it's 20 pounds. It really won't do anything. Yeah. But the fact that you don't care. So that kind of stuff, I, I feed off that all the time. If someone's in the gym abusing equipment, if someone's in there using a machine wrong but just has that ego about them or they're struggling, I'm like, I'm repping out, like, another 10, and I'm going to make the weight even higher next time. Dude, I'll never forget the one time we were at Audie Murphy at Benning, and do you remember this? We are sitting on the turf. I think you were there for TDY when I was in 375. You were just visiting or something. And this one guy was doing, like, thrusters with 65 pounds, so he had, like, the 10-pound bumper plates on. And Oh, yeah, like, he, and he was on the turf. Him, and you're like, stop doing that. And he goes, you got a problem, man? <laughs> you're like no just stop dropping uh, the weights <laughs> you remember that yes 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 no i do i'm like dude you're like not talking you're not being very smart here like i guess because we were like sitting down you probably couldn't see how big we were but like i mean you're like six foot five i'm like six foot and like i was like 215 back then and i was like fucking yoked like i i don't i don't know what the, this guy was like five six like 145 150 pounds i was like dude like I don't know like what you're thinking right now, but <laughs> probably not the people who like fucking talking shit to. I I really do appreciate that when guys will like try to size you up from a distance and then you'll get next one and be like, oh my God, like that dude's only five foot nine. Yeah. Oh, and those aren't forty fives that he had on the bar. Those are fake twenty fives. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Huh. All right, game on. What what's your starting weight? Yeah, I'm gonna uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna warm up with it, please. Yeah. I guess it's like one thing that I like about working out in like a CrossFit gym is that people, generally speaking, are way more respectful, have generally speaking better gym etiquette and and like also aren't like huge douchebags in the gym and like know their place. You know. I think there is a definite definite hierarchy that I've always tried to respect. If there's someone else in the gym that's bigger or stronger than you, they have primacy over any oh, yeah. object in the gym. <laughs> yeah. Any object. 
I'm standing in the gym. If if you're on the fucking glute machine on the other side of it, and I'm the biggest dude in there, you better come and ask me for permission. Yeah, ask me if yeah. I want to squat and like the mountain is in the corner of the gym squatting. I'm not going to touch that bar until I know he is so fucking done with his weights yeah. as to not offend him or interrupt him. Yeah. I think a lot of people like just miss that whole gym etiquette because I do the same thing. Like, but it's like very rare that I walk into like a gym and I'm like not the biggest person or like the strongest person there, you know, not to like jerk myself off or anything. But at this point, it's kind of rare, to, especially in like an army gym to walk into an army gym and find someone bigger than I am or stronger than I am. It's kind of rare. Or stronger. That's the big one. Right? Well, you got some guys that I would say the most you see a lot of soldiers pull will be like, mm, what? Maybe like 450, 460. Yeah. And then, you know, they top out on back squat at like 315 because yeah. they don't want to do it and go to depth. But I mean, you're up there well over four and five and cleaning well over three. So. I think a lot of it, it's fun though, going into an army gym. Like I'm going to miss that because at least everyone in there has to be getting fit. I go to the gym here and it's the first time this guy is like dusted off his ABC Lululemon uh, running pants. And he's got a hat on that has no logo because that's slick and cool. And he's wearing a bunch of, you know, pair of dad shoes with lifting gloves on trying to get tricep, you know, pushdowns. Yeah. Yeah, New York's a weird animal, man. That there are more fit women in this city than there are fit men. Yeah, another reason why I hate the city. New York City sucks. No, I love it. I love it. Hate it. Great food. Good company. Minus the Giants fans. That good. Like every time I go to New York, I mean, I guess like the fancier places. I don't think the food's that good. It's just super expensive. But I guess you go like the hole in wall spots. You can find some pretty good food. Oh yeah. Bluefin in Times Square, do not go, would not recommend. Uh, Panan 2 off of, I want to say, 11th and 1st. Incredible Indian food, incredible environment. And then I found out it's like a very Instagram place with a bunch of basic people, and I fit myself right in. Oh, my God. Yeah, I got to find some good food down in San Antonio, but I'm also like, when I'm on TDY, because I'm on TDY right now, I'm probably one of the cheapest people you ever meet. Like, I meal prepped all my food, so I don't go out to eat and buy stuff. So, I, like, when I make, when I'm on TDY, I try to make as much money as I possibly can on TDY. That makes sense. Yeah, it's great, man. This is how I, this is how I contribute to my Roth IRAs on TDY. <laughs> Not even kidding. <laughs> Hashtag takes uh, like seven and a half, eight and a half years to double your money. So, get going with compound interest. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, finally be able to invest again. Like once I get once I graduate med school and get an income again, can't wait to like oh, get back to I, finance. I feel you, man. I'm like, I'm looking at my bank accounts. I'm just like, ugh, that uh, I can't. I want to put money away somewhere else other than loans and yeah. But it's a long as a student. It's in the long run. It's just like a short term loss for a long term gain. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any closing thoughts? I'm getting kind of hungry about that. You might eat dinner again. Oh, yeah. Uh, our podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Check them out online using the code Cronus15 to get great savings on their products. Uh, Bobby has sworn by it because it objectively will make your sleep and recovery better. If you're also a member of a law enforcement community, or another military organization, contact them for even more deals and uh, happy hunting with Getting Fit. We also have a new review on our iTunes from Trachtenberg, a guy called Trachtenberg. He goes, quote, great information on various subjects, worth a listen for anyone. Thanks, Trachtenberg. That's a solid review. Appreciate it. Um, Dude, thanks so much. So... Another pitch gives us gives us a five star review. Throw us a review. Let us know what you like and don't like. Also, uh, we are extending the Cronus Scholars Program out to September thirtieth. Seriously, we have money and we want to give money away. So, if you're in school or about to start school, just apply for the scholarship. It's like maybe thirty minutes to an hour of work. 
to get it. You can you can even just resend your letters of recommendation that you got for college or school that you had to get anyways. Just send them to us. Just apply seriously. Just apply. It's not worth. It's not that hard to apply. We are literally giving away money. And to those of you that have applied, uh, really appreciate some of the personal stories um, that you have used to inspire us to continue what we're doing. Um, a lot of selflessness and for a lot of you, uh, sacrifice well beyond what the average American will ever experience. So hats off to you guys. Um, you are going to be incredible stewards of the military profession and, and have really enjoyed, again, reading those experiences that you decided to share with us. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, after this next cycle, I think we're going to open it up for more people next year. Is that what the plan is? That is the plan next year. And then we're going to look to get in touch with uh, some of the Ranger and Veteran Networks that are getting individuals up into school uh, up here in the New York City area, talking uh, Columbia specifically. And hopefully we can continue uh, building up a solution to uh, that question, what do I do when I get out? Yeah. I actually read a pretty good article. Uh, this one kid that was in 175, do you know this kid? Uh, from, uh, I think it was a Yale, Yale Class 22. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I know we had a, an incredible NCO end up going to West Point. And I think he got his star, his very last jump, uh, before he went up there. Oh, because there's one kid that he's in, like, Yale, just started Yale. He wrote an article for, like, the Yale, Yale, uh, newspaper talking about how, like, it was kind of hard to, like, transition from regiment to, to college. I saw, I saw, we'll throw it. We'll throw it up on the uh, the social media so everyone can can take a read. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'll see if I can find it again. That was a pretty decent read. Uh, just to, like highlight some of the challenges, like transitioning from like a super elite or just from an elite organization like the regiment into like civilian school and like with civilian peers and like finding commonalities and you know that we talked about last week. No, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll cut it off this for now. You can kind of, you can find us online at www.coronasfit.org. Uh, email us hq at coronasfit.org or on Instagram at coronasfit. We appreciate all the support from you guys. Looking forward to getting out there and keep on contributing to the mission and helping to teach and educate you guys. And check out the weekly dispatch and brain Bobby body brain body Bobby for more great content that we'll push out every weekend. But thanks, guys. Bye, Bobby. Bye, Sean. See you guys later. Peace. Later.